Hey, I'm Jason Gray. Hey, this is Sarah Gross. Hey, I'm Andrew Osinga. Hi, this is Michael Carr. Hey, this is Andrew Peterson, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. And this is me, so let's have some exciting music. Who is me, you ask? Well, me is Rick Lee James, and this is my podcast, Voices in My Head. We've got a great show for you this week, so stay tuned. Hey, welcome back to Voices in My Head. This is your host, Rick Lee James. And wait, uh, what is that? Hmm, sounds like... Hmm. Could it be? Huh. Sounds like that might be... Sounds like that might be music from my new record. Hey, that's exciting, isn't it? I uh, wanted to share just a little bit with you. Nobody's heard that yet, unless you were in the studio uh, with us or you were one of my family members. Just wanted you to hear a little bit of uh, some of the instrumental track. We are getting so much closer to releasing this new record. And I can't wait to share it with you. Uh, RickLeeJames.com for all the information about that. Or you can follow us at Facebook.com slash RickLeeJames. Or if you use Twitter, and please use Twitter. That's one of the easiest ways to communicate. It's uh, My name there is at RickLeeJames. Um, I'm just really getting more excited by the day that we're going to get to share these songs with you soon. Uh, more and more good news is coming. There's a new album coming out through Lifeway Worship that's going to be uh, featured exclusively in Lifeway stores called Positively Hope. Uh, in the very near future, you're going to be able to pick up, it's a compilation CD um, with some music on there that I have written. And uh, for the first time, I get to hear somebody other than me singing my music. And so I'm, I just, uh, man, I'm just so blessed. God has been so good. I'm just enjoying such a, a good season right now of uh, seeing things come to fruition. Uh, so I just wanted to tell you about that, let you hear a little bit of the music as I begin the podcast today. Uh, this is going to be a fun show. I just a minute ago got off of Skype. Uh, we had a conversation. Uh, I had a conversation, I should say, uh, with Peter Enns. By the way, if I sound like I'm not making sense, it's because I have been driving all day uh, to get back for this podcast interview. And I'm a little bit tired, have a little bit of a headache, but I'm still uh, trucking along right now. Uh, excited because I had a great conversation with theologian, author, and just all-around great guy, Peter Inns. Peter has written numerous books, uh, more than I could possibly take time to talk about right now. Uh, but the book that we are specifically uh, zoning in on today is The Bible Tells Me So. Uh, do this for me. Go to Amazon.com. Go and buy it right now. Okay? The Bible Tells Me So, How Defending Scripture Has Made It Impossible to Read. Uh, it is a book that is worthy of your time, especially if you take Scripture seriously. I want to know um, how to read it in, in a way that treats the text with the seriousness it deserves and teaches us to approach it not from the standpoint of, uh, of my perspective, but from the perspective it was intended to be heard from, the perspective of the writers and entering into Scripture uh, really in an orthodox Christian way that we can understand. Um, so go to there and at the very least put it on your wish list and tell somebody in your family so they can buy it for you. It's an excellent read. I uh, had a great time talking with Peter and I think you're going to enjoy our conversation. 
conversation today. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head. Uh, please stay tuned for more information about the new album. And uh, if you feel like it and you want to help us out, you can still go to GoFundMe.com slash hymns and you can uh, give us some more money. We're still about $900 short of our goal to put this album out. Uh, you can help us in other ways. You can go to the website. You can go to rickleyjames.bandcamp.com uh, as well. You can buy music there. You can buy my book, Out of the Depths, A Songwriter's Journey Through the Psalms. Uh, I would love your support in that way as well. You can go to amazon.com and buy all this stuff. Just look up Rick Lee James. Um, and you don't even have to leave your home. Uh, you can watch it, my concert video, Basement Psalms Live, on Amazon Instant Video. And at the low, low price of something i don't know what amazon's charging right now for it but you can get it and watch it right there on amazon instant video stream it across your television sets um what a beautiful thing in the the times that we live in well that track is finished playing so let's get into the conversation i had just moments ago with a great guy author theologian professor sought after speaker simpson fan peter ends god bless you and thank you for listening to voices in my head My guest today on the Voices in My Head podcast is Peter Enns. Dr. Enns taught at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia from 1994 to 2008 and has also taught courses at Harvard University, Princeton Theological Seminary, Fuller Theological Seminary, Lutheran Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, Biblical Theological Seminary, Temple University, and Eastern University. He is currently on faculty at Eastern University teaching courses in Old and New Testament. He is the author of a number of books, including Genesis for Normal People, a guide to the most controversial... Um, Actually, I, I must have missed the uh, the subheading on that <laughs> when I oh, no. made my notes. Uh, Genesis for Normal People, maybe you can finish. A Guide? Yeah, it's a long title. I keep forgetting it. A Guide <laughs> to the Most Misunderstood, Abused, blah, 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 book. Oh, wait, it's right here. I'll read oh, it right off Oh, you. wait, I've got I should, it. I should okay. never be A Guide to the Most Controversial, Misunderstood, and Abused Book of the Bible. How's that for... That... A That's good black and white statement. Fantastic. He is also author of The Evolution of Adam, What the Bible Says About Human Origins, and The Bible Tells Me So, his most recent book, which has the subtitle of Why Defending Scripture Has Made Us So Unable to Read It. And uh, that was published by HarperCollins in 2014. It's an excellent book, and I'm looking forward to discussing that with you today. Um, I have been on the road uh, for about the last three or four days, and so I've been trying to take notes on my iPad, and apparently I just missed uh, the one <laughs> the one uh, subheading to your book when I was typing it out. You missed um, the title. Yes, yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. <laughs> but, all right, I think we're ready to go now. And I noticed as I was looking at some of your bios on different websites online uh, that you said you had become a bit of a Simpson fan throughout the year. And, and man, what a long-running television show with uh, with so many fans and critics for so many different reasons, both inside and outside of the church, uh, for different reasons there as well. So I thought maybe an appropriate question of the week for you, just for fun before we get started today, is which Simpson character do you identify with the most, and why? Uh-huh. Well, um, it's got to be Homer. Um, so people are going to stop listening now, probably. <laughs> Homer. Um, I have three kids, 
a boy and then two girls. That's one. Um, nobody respects me. Uh, what else? Uh, he's just funny. You know, I just, I just, I love when, um, I think it was probably around season two or three when the writers and producers finally figured out that Bart wasn't the star of the show, but Homer was. Right. And, uh, you know, he's, he's innocent. He, he tries usually to do well with a very limited skill set and it botches up, but he's trying his heart's in the right place. And eventually his family comes around. So, (laughs) and he likes donuts. I do love donuts. I've stopped eating them, but, uh, um, Definitely. That scene where he's in hell and he's having donuts shoved down his throat, that's like, yeah. <laughs> one, of my, one of my very favorite scenes from that show is just he eats all the donuts they have and they don't have any more to torture him with. So, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> no, fantastic answer. That's, that's a really good one, actually. I was trying to figure out. I think everybody kind of secretly wants to be Homer because I think he is so good-natured. You know, again, once they kind of figured out who he was um, as a character on that show, there, there's almost a... Uh, an innocence to him in some ways uh, because of how simplistic he is uh, in his thoughts. Right. But but uh, unfortunately, I'm afraid I'm a little more like Reverend Lovejoy than I'd like to uh, admit. Just, only because at times there's that uh, pastoral cynicism that tends to uh, to hit with, <laughs> I think, people who uh, who study theology and at times are working in the church, that can often happen right. to you. So, <laughs> oh, man. Oh, also, I should mention Homer, you know, he, he sleeps at work. And so he's sort of like a college professor. Well, <laughs> it's just always nap time when you're not teaching a class, right? Exactly. <laughs> I just lock my door and I say I'm really studying and I'm on the floor. So. <laughs> Great answers today. Well, thank you so much for kind of playing along. We always have a lot of fun with the question of the week around here. Um, well, I really enjoyed The Bible Tells Me So, and I I was looking for several different angles to talk about this book today and have a conversation. I listened to a few podcasts that you've been on uh, in recent months where they've been talking about this book, and I thought, gosh, what can I do that's maybe a little bit new? And I happened to find a few days ago on faithstreet.com, when your book came out, they asked you to list 10 things that you wish everyone knew about the Bible. And I thought that might be a good way for us today to just kind of carry on a conversation um, while talking about your new book and and then also um, letting people know some things that you find to be very important when approaching Scripture. Because I would say... Um, contrary to maybe what some of your critics would say, I I think you take the Bible very seriously. And uh, I, I find it interesting that so often our, our churches, which, um, at least speaking for myself, I've grown up in the church. I went to a Christian school. You know, I've mm. kind of been uh, born and raised in that atmosphere. And really, um, the academy that was given to us by the church is what taught me how to study theology and then when you start finding out things that differ a little bit from churches you've been a part of but are actually because you've been educated by the church (laughs) it's interesting that you get criticized for putting the information that you've learned to use by the very same church that said you need to know this (laughs) right so um, so maybe today if you don't (laughs) mind i'll just kind of go through these 10 things um that you actually listed in this article that Mm -hmm. you feel are important uh that you wish everyone knew about the bible and that might give us a good discussion point today where we can just discuss and and see where it leads us 
Okay. All right. Well, the first one that you listed is the Bible doesn't answer all or even most of our questions. Uh, so that's the first thing that you say you wish everyone knew about the Bible. The Bible doesn't answer all or even most of our questions. I wonder if you could just elaborate on that some for us. Sure. I actually, I changed my mind. I think that it does answer every last one of our questions. So oh. let's move. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Ha ha. All right. Um, yeah, I, I, what I mean by that is, is, uh, and I think most people sort of know this instinctively, but um, I, I think you know people brought up in, in, in certain kinds of church traditions. I mean, I don't want to keep harping on the same sort of whipping boy, but sort of an evangelical or fundamentalist, sort of literalist kind of way. Um, we expect the Bible to give us a lot more information than it actually can give us because we look at it as a sort of a a book for life that is guiding us through the ins and outs of our daily routines and our daily challenges, but it doesn't seem to do that. It might do some things generally, but it's really not there to answer all or most of our questions and expecting it to, you know, we start reading it like, I mean, I say in the Bible tells me so over and over again, we read it then sort of like an instructional manual or a how-to book or, um, you know, um, instructions for assembling a good Christian or something like that. <laughs> And I think the Bible is is actually, it, it, it's bigger than that. You know, when, when I say the Bible doesn't answer all of our questions, oh, the Bible's small. No, the actual the Bible's bigger. The story that it's telling is sort of a vision-setting, grand statement of reality, of the nature of God, and of what it means to be people of God. And it's not there to um, essentially hold our hand through life. Uh, the Bible has a way of addressing that. It's called wisdom, where you learn how to live and to negotiate the challenges of life through trial and error, through uh, through experience, um, through talking with people who are wiser than you. I mean, that's sort of how you do this sort of thing. But the Bible, you can't just turn to a page and say, this is what I should do. Sure. Yeah, very good answer. And I, and I think sometimes, too, yeah, like, I think the Bible gives us some really interesting questions. And I, I love that... Um, that so often it helps us to actually be searchers and I, I I think that we need more of that actually that that the questions are actually help us to seek God more sometimes and I love how you bring that to the fore in your book um, that it's not just this answer book and that it's a shame that we treat it that way sometimes uh, well, the 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 second thing that you say you wish all Christians knew or all people knew about the Bible is uh, the Bible isn't like God's version of Apple's terms and conditions agreement which is fantastic because I don't know anyone that's ever read all those terms and conditions <laughs> when it comes down to it I think yeah. we get about one sentence in and go uh <laughs> so right. uh, may, maybe elaborate a little bit more on that the Bible isn't like God's version of Apple's terms and conditions agreement yeah, I mean, and, and these 10, some of them are sort of connected to each other, which mm -hmm. is avoidable. I'm sort of happy for that. But I, I guess I put it this way. The, the Bible is not sort of a long legal document that we have to keep rummaging through to make sure we don't miss a clause that will run us into some deep trouble in this moment that we're in, this challenge before us, or this decision that we have to make. It's, you know, maybe another analogy. It's sort of, it's not really a, a, like a constitution where you have um, paragraphs and subparagraphs and points and subpoints and everything's laid out there, everything you sort of need to know. And if you trip up at any one place, you know, the whole thing's null and void. And um, again, I think consciously, I don't think people really believe that. 
that if they mess one thing up, they're dead meat. But the Bible is sort of, I think, in my experience, by many people, treated like that, like it's mm-hmm. this complex set of instructions and and terms of agreement and conditions, and that you know you, you've got to you know really toe the line and maybe have your lawyer look over it first and make sure that you're getting it right, and then it just puts a lot of pressure. It sort of takes the um, the wonder out of it, yeah. you know, it, it, when it becomes something that we can sort of, in theory, control. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that often, you know, as, you, as you're mentioning that, I think of things like uh, the book of Proverbs, for instance, or, or any of the yeah. wisdom books, and we come to that oftentimes, and I've so often heard it taught like, like, do do x and y and you'll get z you know like that's these are these are the formula this is how it happens and then when those things don't happen you know it's like well did god not keep his terms and conditions himself you know and right. I, I just read the proverbs and it said this and i uh, know mm-hmm. it's a, it's just a different way of approaching scripture and the idea of of wisdom uh, it's it's not a contract and i think that's so helpful to us and and it's we, and related to that, Rick, I don't know, if, I can't remember what my 10 were, but we might, it might come back later, but I think one reason why it doesn't work well as sort of the terms and conditions agreement is because of the theological diversity in the Bible. Oh, wow. Even within the book of Proverbs, you know, so I, I mean, Proverbs says, you know, if you do this, then this will happen. Well, first of all, it doesn't really say that, but second of all, there are other <laughs> Proverbs that sort of take a very different angle. And, and um you know, I think the Bible as a whole works that way. It's not like verses that sort of tell you how things should be or tell you what what will happen. It's more setting a vision for us, and we sort of enter into that narrative, so to speak. I know that sounds a bit evasive, but it's not. You know, we enter into the world that, you know, the Bible is sort of trying to display for us in its own ancient ways, and and it's more than just a verse here or there, and then I'm going to hold God to this verse. I mean, read the Psalms, for heaven's sake. Yeah. You know, the Psalms are constantly calling God into account for not doing what he said he would do. Hmm. Right? And and I think that's the reality of the life of faith. I think the Bible displays that, rather than, um, you know, expecting us, well, here's a rule book, you better read this, and you sure. better get it right, and you better not screw up, because if you do, man, I'm going to be mad. You know? Oh, that's right. Well, yeah, and like you said, the the diversity of writers of the Bible with different uh, theological positions. I I think that's a actually a beautiful example for the church too, because uh, we a lot of us come from different angles when approaching the Scripture, and and we all love God just as much as the next one, uh, but we're coming to different conclusions at different points in our walk of faith and where we are in our life uh, about who God is and God's revealing Himself in different ways. And I I think that's something very important when we come to Scripture because we expect it to all be written by the exact same person or mind or something, and yet there is such a rich right. diversity in it, just as right. there is the church. So that's a great right. point, great point you're making here. Yeah. Well, your third point that you made is the Bible isn't a source book for fighting culture wars. And boy, is this one important, especially as we roll closer and closer to like elections and, <laughs> and different things. And yeah. You just start seeing Facebook explode with uh, with issues. And, um, and I just saw a, a pretty great article from Relevant that reminded us that the gospel is not clickbait. And uh, I, I, I <laughs> yeah, love that. But, but maybe yeah. you could elaborate a little bit more on the Bible not being a source book for fighting culture wars, because it certainly has been used that way a lot. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, I was thinking of, you know, primarily the election year and politicians and, and speeches that they make, and 
um, you know, calling upon God for climate control or something in the Bible, and and uh, you know, a host of other issues. And and again, I think that um, in yeah, I, so I don't want to say the Bible doesn't have relevance for questions we might ask. I'm not trying to say that, but sure. this is a little bit different where it's assumed that the Bible can simply enter into our political arena and speak to it, and we can sort of use the Bible and bring it into our world. And I think what the Bible is doing more is creating a different kind of world for us to be looking at that we enter into. Hmm. And, and and to co-opt the Bible for issues that, you know, it the Bible might not have much to say about, whether it's recycling or anything, you know, it, it, the Bible might not give the answer, but to use it that way and, and to do it in such a way to, you know, go get momentum for your for your view on the part of a certain, you know, segment of the population. I just, you know, I think that's that's part of what gives Christianity a bad name. Hmm. And I just I just wish people would stop doing that. Yeah, no doubt. And yeah. I, I love how you, you say in your, your brief article, you, you remind us that America is not god's country and the bible isn't its constitution <laughs> and you just very right. succinctly say so stop it <laughs> yeah. and uh and I, and I think that's very important we can we yeah. can so often become uh just so blinded by things around the world even because we're so focused on those things that are at home and we almost make it as if uh you know jesus is an american he's a he's a right. you know flag waver and all that and right. uh, and I, I love how you point that out in your book, how it really is necessary for Christians to stop doing that in order to be faithful to, to who God is and who the Bible right. is and the gospel is. Right. Anytime you equate gospel with any political structure, you have problems. Mm. Um, and, and uh, you know, anytime you, 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 you claim that any sort of political structure has essentially the answers to, and and adhering to this is that's the Roman Empire problem that mm-hmm. the New Testament is always arguing against, and um, I think the principle holds for any um, any regime that we're a part of when, when things are going well, whether it's America or things are not going very well at all, like in certain you know African countries at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think it's dangerous to sort of align too closely any country or any political regime with that that vision of ultimate reality that we get sure which you know and and i and that's what just you know i just wish we wouldn't do that so that's all no doubt amen well number four you listed the bible doesn't guarantee success in life (laughs) and uh that's boy that should be obvious to us but it's just not for some reason um so so take it away the bible doesn't guarantee us success (laughs) in life and and uh you know as as one who's put out a book myself and has not had uh stellar sales on it i can tell you that's true so (laughs) yeah right (laughs) yeah well i think you know this goes back to um you know, when I was young, I used to watch TV preachers never uh, to learn anything, but usually just make fun of them because I'm that kind of a guy. But I stopped doing that. But I, I do. I mean, I hear again and again, um, uh, you know, uh, preachers who have a high public profile, who have a lot of followers, um, you know, essentially promise that things will go great with them if they do certain things. And that usually involves giving money to them. 
Um, and, and, you know, God is there. If There's a formula. If you do this, this will happen, and you'll be successful. And um, if there's any message I get from the Bible, it's how dying to self and suffering is what God uses to bring you to a more Christ-like way of, mm. of, of living and of looking. And, and, and I, I, there are a few things, at least in Western culture, that I can think of that are more of a problem um, than this prosperity preaching that you see on, mm. on television. It's, it's really, it, it, it sickens me about as much as anything. Yeah. Well, and, and, and as you have said, actually, in your writing, the, the Bible crushes our egos. And I, I think that's a very important point. And I wonder how often we've actually considered, um, those of us who work in our churches, that, uh, you know, what if, uh, and this will fly in the face, obviously, of like the church growth movement and things like that. But the idea of what if we are being as faithful as we can be and we are following God um, as closely as humanly possible. And for that reason, our church is not growing because we are being yep. so faithful to the gospel. Um, and I, I don't think we ever stop very often to ask questions like that and think, wow, what if mm -hmm. what if it does mean that? You know, and that's part of what dying to self is. And, and right. I, I don't know if you've seen the movie Calvary, but um, we've had a discussion no. on my show in the past. And um, that movie really is um, sort of a story about what it means to be faithful to your vocational calling in the midst of um, of nothing happening right for you, basically. And in fact, right. things going the complete opposite direction and yet still being faithful. And uh, right. so, so that's a, a and wonderful And even, you know, point. I would add to that, Rick, I, I think, um, you know, I don't know, you know, uh, what if, uh, you know, the fact that our church is small shows that we're faithful to the gospel, right? That's sort of how right. you put it before. I think that still privileges the idea of growth being something to look at. Maybe God doesn't care. Mm. Maybe he just doesn't care about big churches. Maybe yeah. we do. You know, maybe some are big, some are small, and both have their challenges. But, um, you know, a, a church that's small doesn't need to justify its smallness by saying, well, well, we're really faithful to the gospel. That's why people don't want to hear this, you know. Oh. And sometimes that what that what that can be too is that there you know there's um there's a potential for arrogance on that side as well where we've got this super narrow gospel and it's almost cultish of course the big churches are cultish too but well. you know i just i think see i think church size does not determine the quality of church that you have mm. you can have horribly just horrible small churches that you know um or, or, you know, they're not good because they're small. They're just sort of, you know, they're small for other reasons. But maybe, uh, you know, that that could be a sign, a good sign or a bad sign. Same thing with large churches. I, th I think the size of the church doesn't matter. It's just that we get caught up with that. Wow. That's an excellent point. Yeah, very good. Good observation. I make, I make all sorts of excellent points. If you just keep <laughs> me talking for several days, I might make one or two more. I don't know. <laughs> well, we should, we should say again, just read some of your some of uh, Peter Ann's books because there are tons of excellent points in there. <laughs> for sure. Or better yet, buy them. Buy them, right. Don't yeah. just read them. Buy them. That oh. always helps. <laughs> well, I don't care if you read them. Just buy them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
Well, let's move on to point number five. Um, and we've already discussed this just a little bit, but we can go maybe a little more in depth. But the Bible is open to multiple interpretations, not just one meaning. And I, I think this is a, a very important thing. Again, we've talked about the richness of the church and, and how differing we are oftentimes. But maybe you could just yeah. um, elaborate more some thoughts that you're having on that. Well, I mean, if, if we look, first of all, at the history of both Christianity and Judaism, we can just stick with the Old Testament here, and how diverse their interpretations have been, um, that should be a signal to us that the Bible is actually amenable to varied interpretations. And the reason that is, is because the Bible isn't necessarily clear. Um, you know, we ask questions of the Bible, the Bible doesn't answer, you know, where did Cain get his wife from, things like that. You know, it's just the nature of the Bible is that it, it's not clear and you have to dig for it. Once you start digging, people will, will dig in different directions or at different levels and different depths. And so, you know, throughout history, people have thought differently. And even today, at this very moment, when you think of the number of Christians in the world, or just in your city, um, and how they have different points of view on things the Bible says. I mean, those to me are just facts, and that should tell us something, you know, about, you know, what should we expect from the Bible. Um, a theologian, a friend of mine, John Frankie, um, wrote a book, Manifold Witness, a few years ago, and it's a very short, very readable, nice book, where the, the point of it is that diversity like this maybe is what God actually wants. Maybe mm. that's part of the program where it isn't just one answer. and Because and, when you get, go down that road, you really sooner or later have to come down to, my tradition is right, others are wrong. And I know Christians who think like this, they, they actively, openly think, we do have the truth, others don't. We hold it trust for them until they can come around. We're not here to dialogue with them. We're here to sort of patiently wait for them to see it our way, or if need be, take steps to ensure that to happen. I mean, that's that's just, that's that's really, um, I think that's disrespectful of the Bible, and I think it's disrespectful of the Spirit, judging by what we actually see around us. Mm. Awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, and, and this really leads right into your number six point, that uh, we learn this actually from Judaism, and I, I think it's a, a great thing for Christians to learn. And uh, this may be one of the hardest ones for a lot of listeners to wrap their mind around, but you remind us that the Bible invites debate. And the Jewish theologians that I have read and, and have appreciated and learned a lot from, just as you point out in your book, is the Bible is something for us to discuss and debate and for us to have different opinions on. But may, maybe you can just continue right down the track that you've already kind of opened up with that last sure. question and the about the Bible inviting us to debate yeah I, th I think you know because of the way the bible's set up it's, it's inevitable that debate will happen because we see debates within the pages of the bible and, and it, it's clearly not an owner's manual it's 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 story it's narrative and it's it's it changes over time you have you have a, a, a views on the law that change from one legal code to another you have um, you know, views of outsiders and what you should think of them. Well, that depends on whether you're reading a Deuteronomy or Joshua or maybe something like Habakkuk or Nahum or, or Jonah. You know, they, 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 they look at things differently, and it's not like there's always one opinion that rules the roost. So, you, you know, within the Bible, you've got this internal debate. What um, 
uh, Walter Brueggemann calls like a counter testimony that sort of engages the main storyline of the Bible and sort of debates it and argues with it. And and I think that's that's something that Judaism has a good handle on because in the history of their own uh, struggling with Scripture, they um, um, you can see the debate in front of you. You just you know open up things like. Uh, um, you know the, the the Talmud, which is their you know great compendium of of, of learning and and of guidance for for people to to you know to live as, as Jews in the world around them. Um, you have differences of opinion. You have you know Rabbi so and so says this, and Rabbi so and so says no, you're wrong, it's this. Rabbi so and so says well, no, it's this altogether, and uh, differently than what either of you think, and they just move on to the next verse. You don't try to solve it because the the point is sometimes the debate. The, um, the uh, debate may may not be the best word always, but the the point is sometimes to struggle with the meaning in community, and that's where God is met, hmm. rather than meeting God necessarily and having the right answer and nailing it down every single time. Um, one of my uh, professors uh, at Harvard, John Levinson. Um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing him here, but he said something once in class. He said it in writing, too. But I remember when he said it, it just sort of hit me. I said, my goodness, that's that's so profound. He said, for Jews, the Bible is sort of a, 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 um, a problem that you get to engage to try to solve. Hmm. It's a problem. For Christians, it's a message to be proclaimed. Hmm. And I think he's right about that. For Christians, it's a message, meaning it's ultimately about Jesus, which, you know, I, as a Christian, I agree with that. But the Bible itself is still very diverse, and sure. to try to get a message out of it, you, you, it, it that that mentality is set up to stifle debate. Hmm. Wow. Not, that's, not that's to some... encourage it. Not 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 to not to not to encourage difference of opinion, or or maybe not encourage it, but even to embrace and allow it and to expect it. It's not set up hmm. for that. Well, it just occurs to me as I'm I'm thinking through this again. I'm, I think about the the different characters at play in the story of Job that we find, and right. the the different people that seem to have wisdom that are sort of debating among each other about what God is doing right now. And right. Uh, and I and I've never thought of that before as sort of an example of this kind of debate going on. But it seems to me like maybe that would be a good example of. Uh, some of the debate that is encouraged within Judaism and is encouraged when we come to the Bible that this is sort of how we um, we theologize and, and come uh, to yeah. a place together with where God is leading us and, and right. really why we need each other, I think. And I, I think what's fascinating, I mean, this is this really gets to the point, I think Job's a great example you're bringing up, Rick, that the, the Job's three friends, they all pretty much agree with each other that Job is suffering because he must have done something to deserve it. Mm -hmm. God is punishing him. They get that idea. I mean, we, we have that idea in Psalms. We have that idea in Proverbs. We have that idea in Deuteronomy. You know, there are lists of curses and blessings. If you do this, you'll be blessed. If you do this, you'll be cursed. Psalm 1 begins that way. The whole Psalter begins with this. There are two kinds of people. You know, those who are righteous and those who are wicked. The righteous do this, the wicked do this. The righteous get blessed, the wicked get cursed. That's the way things are set up. And that's what they're saying to Job. But Job says, no, I'm innocent. And at the end, Job is vindicated by God. Yeah. It's right. not what the Bible says. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's something, there's always something deeper and bigger going on. And, and I think, you know, sometimes the irony of it is in, you know, holding up the Bible with, with great respect, 
um, we sometimes you can hold you can close your ears off to what God is doing, maybe a new thing or a different thing that he's doing. He might not be as bound to the book as some Christians tell us that he is. Hmm. I see, why do I say that? The Bible tells me so. It's right there in front of me. I'm watching this debate where Job's friends are the most biblical ones in the whole book, and they're wrong. Hmm. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's a very important lesson in that whole danger of uh, how many times have we heard it said, well, the Bible says, you know, and right. and, and you go, well, the Bible says lots of things. And, right. and you know, I, I'm at least the point I'm at in life now is I'm, uh, I'm saying a lot more and asking a lot more when I come to Scripture uh, because I am a Christian and because I do believe Jesus right. is the living word. I, I want the living word to help me interpret the written word and not the other way around. I, I want to be subservient um, to the Christ uh, that, that we believe as Christians is resurrected and speaking to us and, and helping us to even um, read scripture correctly, I think, and helping us reimagine. I think uh, one of the most beautiful things about scripture is, you know, when Jesus says, you have heard it said, thus and such, but I say, you know, <laughs> and, right. and, and, and I think that's a wonderful way um, for us to, you know, continue this whole idea of debating with, with Scripture and debating with each other so that we can be led to the heart of who God is. Right. Um, well, let's just uh, continue on with this, and this one might be a little bit controversial to some people as well. Uh, but number seven, the Bible doesn't record history objectively, but interprets it. And, I, mm -hmm. man, this is a, such a great point, and I'm, I'm looking forward to what you have to say about this. But the Bible doesn't record history objectively, but interprets it. Yeah, and, and to say that is to say that anyone who records history is actually interpreting history. There is no such thing as, here's, here's the past straight, without any bias, without any sort of you know, spin or without any sort of interpretive dimension. There, there is no such thing. And the Bible is the same. You, you see um, biblical authors interpreting the past for the benefit of their present communities, and they do it differently. And I'm not just making that up. The reason I say that is, again, the Bible tells me so. You, you have two histories of Israel in the Old Testament, um, especially the histories of the monarchy, of the mm. kings that start with Saul and then David and Solomon, and then the, the nation breaks into two. There's a north and there's a south, and the north hangs on for about you know, maybe a couple hundred years and then gets taken away by the Assyrians, and then the, the south goes on for about another hundred and something years, and then they're you know, taken away by the Babylonians. And that story is told in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, that's one version. The other version is First and Second Chronicles, mm -hmm. and they're different. I mean, to go into detail, I mean, I, I give some details in the book, but they give different takes, different visions of Israel's past. And and the one that was written second, Chronicles, is clearly working off of Samuel Kings, but who changes it? Who changes it rather significantly in places? because he has a different message that he's getting across to his people who have come back from exile and have been in the land for maybe a couple hundred years or so, at least, after they return from exile. And he's giving them a message of hope that God is still with them and they're going to continue on and things will be okay. Um, Samuel Kings is more of a downer because the, the destruction of Jerusalem is pretty much right in the rearview mirror, and um, 
the the word there is much more negative. Mm-hmm. It's more chastising of the people for you know how do you, how could you let this happen? Well, with chronicles again, generations have passed, and they're thinking, how much longer is God going to punish us? Well, here's a sermon, essentially, First and Second Chronicles is a sermon that is trying to give the people a pep talk, that, mm. you know, God is still with you, he's still on your side. And that's why the details are so very profoundly different between these two stories. And you have something similar with the Gospels. You have four Gospels that tell the story of Jesus differently. Are there similarities? Of course there are, but there are also profound differences, because you have different writers living in different places, different communities, putting together this message of Jesus for communities of faith. And it strikes me that that hasn't stopped. Hmm. We do always think of, you know, who Jesus is. Um, we, we ask questions of Jesus based on our own context, our own moment, our own community, and we engage God that way. And I, I think, again, the Bible tells me, so, so the Bible models that for us. I just, I just think it's... It's cool, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's, it, it's 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 nice having a Bible like that that sort of models for us our own way of trying to follow God in this life. Hmm. Well, and, and I think that we can all relate to that too—the idea of um, recording history differently. I, I think personally, we do it on on multiple levels. Um, uh-huh. You know, maybe maybe a group of us, you know, let's say five different people go to the same restaurant together and have a meal, and mm-hmm. all five of them, even though they're sharing the same experience, they may have all had different experience if you ask them to write about it, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. One right. of them might have said, right. oh, the food was the best thing I've ever had. It was just perfectly cooked, and the next person might go, ah, it was <laughs> mediocre. It was kind of okay, you know, and or, you know, right. if you walk into a movie theater with five different people and come out and ask them what the movie movie was about you know and so i think on a on a level i think we can all understand that but it's really hard for some of us to come to scripture that way and say oh no there can't be more than one way to look at this you know (laughs) it is because the assumptions we make well this is the bible therefore it would never do that why make that assumption when it clearly does yeah exactly and what does it tell us about god what does it tell us about the bible right and it's not like oh the bible is not the word of god anymore because it does weird stuff no maybe Maybe we're coming at it from a wrong angle mm. without showing enough respect for how the Bible actually acts. Mm. Good good point, exactly. Uh, and, and again, I want to reiterate to listeners today that, that we actually are coming uh, to the Bible through this way that, that Peter is talking about with a way that we do want to respect the text. We, we do want to take it very seriously, and we do want to take out of, out of it what it's meant for us to take from it. And uh, and, I, and so, I again, I just want to thank you for your uh, way that you put this in your book so well. Well, we've got about uh, three more left here, and we're, we're moving right along through it. I'm, I'm really enjoying hearing your answers to this. But, but nobody's falling asleep yet, I not, hope? Well, I haven't, you know. And okay, I'm neither of I have a couple <laughs> times, but I'm all right now. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you. Me, so, yeah. uh, well, number eight, the Bible was written by Jews and at least one Gentile in the New Testament in ancient times. And right. uh, so maybe just discuss that a little bit to us, because even sometimes I think this is a mystery to people. Well, how do we get the Bible? Who wrote the Bible, and, and why should right. that matter? Well, it, it's it's. I, I wish people did ask that question more often, but I, you know, I see that they don't ask the question. They just sort of assume that the Bible speaks our language. 
because God has given us this Bible that's sort of, you know, God's love letter to the church of speaking to me directly in my circumstances. I think God does that. I think God uses the Bible that way, certainly. But the Bible was written in an ancient world that had certain assumptions about the nature of reality. It had assumptions about uh, what's important, what's right, what's wrong. And, and, and biblical writers participate in that world. They're, they're ancient people who, you know, went to war and had class systems. And, uh, you know, they didn't get up and go to work in the morning, right? And they farmed or they were shepherds or some were scribes. And, and, the, and the world view is a different one. I mean, you know, probably they thought the world was flat. At least most of them did, right? right. Um, or there was a dome over a head, and, and there were waters above that the dome was keeping away, and there were waters below under the earth. And, you know, that's that's how they thought about things. And that's fine. You know, that's, mm-hmm. well, the Bible's wrong. No, it's not wrong. It's ancient. Yeah. There's a big difference, right? So, you know, why can't God do that? Right. You know, and then the problem then you start reconciling the Bible with science because well the Bible's got to be right and we know these things about Big Bang or whatever. Big Bang's not in the Bible. Right. They've been understood. No one would have gotten it. So, so let the Bible be the Bible. Just understand that it's ancient. That might not be asking exactly the questions we're posing. Well, and it, it, to me it says a lot too about who God is that He doesn't wait for us to get the answers right before He reveals Himself. You know, and I, I think that's just such a beautiful thing. Um, because I mean, how <laughs> how awful would that be if God said, "Well, I I would wait, I would reveal so much about who I am, but first I got to wait until they understand science." And so <laughs> after that, uh, so He comes to us where we are. He comes to us in our understanding to reveal who He is, and I, I think that's just one of the beautiful things about this story. And um, and and I I really do hope that people will begin asking that question more, um, even if your answer is. Um, when people are debating things, well, the Bible says, you know, maybe we should start asking, well, who in the Bible says it? And what was the context when they were saying that? And, and how should right. we interpret right. what it says for, for the time it was written? And then maybe we can talk about it in our context from there. So right. um, it's not necessarily that it's a bad thing to say the Bible says, but it is a, a good thing for us to understand a lot more about the Bible before we make assertions like that, for sure. Yeah, it might take some work. Yeah. Yeah, it might sure. do some work on our part. That's okay. And and there's well, God wouldn't want us to work. Maybe He does want us to work may, a little may, bit. You know? Yeah, yeah, I think He does. Well, let's uh, let's go to question or your uh, number nine thing that you hope all people would understand about Scripture. The Bible isn't the center of the Christian faith. Ooh, that sounds controversial. Let's talk about that a little bit. The Bible isn't the center of the Christian faith. It should be controversial. I mean, God is. <laughs> Christian faith, not the Bible. Right. And I, I understand people say, well, we only know of God through the Bible. Well, that's not really true. Uh, people knew of God before there was a Bible. Mm-hmm. And in, to think that the Bible is the only access point to God is, I think, wrong. Is it an important one? Of course it is. Is it one that's been around for a long time? Absolutely, no question. It's been difficult to understand at times, but, you know, the Bible itself is not the center. It's not the focus. God is the focus. And I think we sometimes confuse those. I mean, one... One quick example is, um, I mean, I've, I've been in churches where they sing hymns about the Bible. I have a problem. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, the word this, this is where God gave us his word, the word, the word. Okay, I understand that, but I think that's misplacing an emphasis. Mm. And and I guess what I'm suggesting is when I say the center, um, 
the, the Bible's always there. It's always vital to the church and vital to the Christian life. You should read it, read it, read it, read it, read it. No question about that. But it's not the center. I think it needs to be not eliminated, obviously, not thrown away, but decentered hmm. off to the side as a means of getting you someplace, not as the thing you keep coming back to. And, and you know, you see that in, in America, at least, where you have churches called Bible churches or Bible colleges or Bible seminaries. I know what they're doing. They're saying we take the Bible seriously. But it's it's like, you know, this book becomes the, the center focus and, and almost this you're absorbed in this this paranoia sometimes of, of defending it and making sure that you're right and everybody else is wrong. That's what happens when you elevate the Bible to a place where it shouldn't be. Sure. And, you know, it's, it's funny you said that because uh, just a few nights ago I was a part of an ordination service uh, here in Ohio, and I, I won't name names, and uh, but the when uh, the presiding minister who was uh, speaking that night um, he reminded us of the importance of reading the Bible and he said something that just set with me just a little bit off and I'm not even sure if he realized himself what he was saying when he said it but he said you know you need to be in your Bible because and you need to encourage your people to read the Bible because it's only through the Bible the written word that we come to understand the living word and I thought Huh, that doesn't seem to always be the case, you know. I know, I know Paul or Saul knew a lot about the Bible, <laughs> but it seems like on the road right. to Damascus, he wasn't having a Bible study when God <laughs> chose to come and blind him right. <laughs> and teach him different things. Right. So I, I wonder if sometimes, you know, even that can be a way of limiting how God's going to um, reveal himself to us is when we make statements like that. Because often, you're right, I, I think we treat the Bible like it's the fourth member of the Trinity. And, mm -hmm. um, and and it's just not. So I appreciate you bringing that out, that the Bible isn't the center of the Christian faith, but God is. And, uh, yep. and, and it points to who God is. So great, excellent point. I really appreciate that one. And this brings us to number 10, the, the last one on our list for discussion today. Uh, the Bible doesn't give us permission to speak for God. And this is such a powerful point. Maybe we've saved the best one for last today. But I, I'd love for you to just uh, elaborate a bit more on this. The Bible doesn't give us permission to speak for God. Well, this, I mean, touches on the others. Um you know, there, there's a lot of overlap here, but I think maybe I, it might help if I can rephrase that a little bit. Um, speaking a passage from the Bible doesn't mean you're speaking God's word to the people around you. Hmm. Right? It's, it's, it's not a source book where, you know, here's a verse and this is what God wants you to do. Um, it, it's not. It's it, it's not really. Uh, you know, set up that way that when we sort of, you have to think of context. Sure. Who are you talking to? What's going on? I use an example in the Bible tells me so where um, years ago when Saving Private Ryan came out, uh, my son, who's now 27, he was 10 years old at the time, and he just asked, Dad, can I watch it? Dad, can I watch it? And, you know, I said, okay, listen, I'm going to let him watch it. It was pretty gruesome. And, um, you know, a lot of his friends watched it. I wanted him to be sort of in his peer group, and I thought this was a good thing for him to do, and I thought he was emotionally constituted to handle it, because I'd seen it already. And the opening scene was just, you yeah. know, people getting dismembered. It was, it was, And I'm glad he saw it, because I'm glad he saw, uh, you know, a, a, a depiction of war that doesn't make you say, hey, I want to be there. <laughs> you yeah. know, it makes you, I want to get out of there. 
So uh, I was, we were talking with friends of ours not long after that, and I told them that my son saw it, and she said, uh, the mother said, you let him see an R movie? I said, yeah. And she said, you know, Proverbs 24, whatever, and I didn't know what that was. I said, what are you talking about? She said, raise up a child in the way that he should go, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, that, that's meant to be sort of like a divine admonition to what I did. But I told her, I said, I did do what right. I felt I needed to do to raise him up in the way that he should go. That was a, that was a, a wisdom decision on my point, on my part, to sort of do that, right? So, you know, it, you know, reading that verse isn't, you know, speaking for God at that moment. It's actually it could be part of a conversation. Mm. Yeah, maybe she has a point I need to listen to, right? But it's it's not just opening the Bible. You know, it's God's book. You open it, you read it. You're sort of speaking for God. You have to be really careful. I think I think this takes a lot more wisdom and humility than we sometimes uh, assume. Right, and and you do a great job of pointing that out. Actually, when you speak in the book, that at least if you're going to use the Bible as a way to speak for God, do have a lot of wisdom and humility with that, and and be humble enough to 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 realize that. There are certain instances um, where you, where you re- really need to check yourself, you know, <laughs> before you yeah, speak right. on behalf of those things, and and I, right. I think that's a, a really important thing. And sometimes ministers, especially at times, we can not only be a cynical bunch, but at times we can also be uh, ones that get power trips and just want to use the Bible almost like a weapon and sure. say God says this, and well, maybe maybe it's that, or as my pastor says sometimes. Maybe maybe you heard from God, but maybe it was just the fumes from your cornflakes that morning. You yeah. know <laughs> when you come together. <laughs> so, um, well, these are these were all such great points, and I I really appreciate you taking time to be on the Voices sure. in My Head podcast today. When I read this book about, uh, I want to say it was about three months ago. Uh, I mean, I, I just devoured it. It took me about a day and a half, really, to, to read it cover to cover, and I, I want to use it as a resource to go back to again and again. Um, but I have so appreciated your heart, and a lot of times I think um, if we're not careful, we can we can come to subjects like this as though, like, we have all the answers, and I want to say how much I appreciated in reading this book um, that there really was a sense of humility to you, and there's a real sense of humor behind your writing, and I think listeners can tell even today that you're a person that likes to joke around and, and really um, is a person that, that comes with the proper respect and humility to Scripture whenever you come and speaking to something about this, and I love how you're not just pointing to everyone and saying, well, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, and I'm right. Uh, but the idea of approaching Scripture with the seriousness that it deserves, and actually that the more serious we take it, the, the deeper we're going to dive, and the more that we're going to uh, allow ourselves to have deeper and bigger conversations with others that we may not agree with. Uh, right. so, so thank you for that, and uh, I, I wonder if you have any more books coming down the pike in the near future. <laughs> um Define near future. Uh, <laughs> I, I do have a book coming out in the spring, and right now um, the, the manuscript is with the publisher, Harper One, and there's going to be some editing, which always happens over the next few weeks. Um, I'm waiting to hear back on, on, on some of the specifics, but the, the basic gist of the book is um, the need to, to have sort of this a posture of trusting God rather than you have to know what you believe. Hmm. 
because that gets into a lot of trouble because we don't always know what we believe. So, mm. I mean, the subtitle is something like trusting God when you don't know what you believe anymore. Mm. And and there again, the Bible is a lot of help because that's modeled in the Bible by certain figures. And it's just, you know, the way it is, because most people I know struggle with their faith sure. and, and profoundly and not just for a weekend, yeah. but for decades um, because things happen. Yeah. And, and you know, if you have this pressure of we have to know what you believe and hold on to it and, and be able to argue it, which is sort of a disease among conservative Christians, at least in America, I think that runs us into uh, to that runs seekers into a lot of trouble because mm. they're always asking, well, but what about? But what about? Well, you don't ask those questions. Yeah. Right. So and, and I think that's spiritually debilitating. And so I just wanted to write a book that connected with people who sort of live in struggles or doubts or just not being sure or being somewhat agnostic and saying, you know, that's that's part of this journey, too. That's not an anomaly. That's normal. Sure. No, that's fantastic. I'll, I'll really look forward to reading that book, and I, I think that's going to be a help to a lot of people. Uh, right. any, any place that you would like uh, to point listeners to online or, or just where they can uh, get your book? Is there a place that gives you more of a cut than others when you buy it? <laughs> <laughs> um. No, not really. I mean, just go to the usual places. I usually, you know, have links on my website occasionally. You know, people can go there too. But, um, yeah, just, just wherever books, they normally buy books. All right. All right. Well, thank you again. It has been just a real pleasure to have you on the, the podcast today. And uh, I, I appreciate you bearing with me. And uh, I drove back, like I said, from West Virginia just about uh, two hours ago. So I've been on the road most of the day. And I was hoping oh, I was hoping I made sense for our conversation today. Uh, <laughs> but it has really been a privilege. And I just wish you all the best and, and pray blessings Thanks, for you in the coming days. Appreciate it. All Good right. to talk to you. Well, thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week. All right. See ya. <laughs> All right. See you later, Peter. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience. So if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows. You can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.